Welcome to the Mutual Success Podcast, where we hear how entrepreneurs and extraordinary sales professionals are helping each other, their clients, their communities, and maybe even saving the world. So uh, first of all, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to this podcast. You are a busy man. Uh, My pleasure. You uh, look like you'd be my younger, more handsome little brother. (laughs) <laughs> well i am uh, i'm gonna be turning 57 this year yeah uh, what's your birthday uh, i was 60 in june so yeah right. you could be my little brother so um when i looked at your i was doing my you know a modest amount of research because we had a short period of time but you know obviously you've got so many products that you know now, now i know why you don't have any hair <laughs> similar to my situation growing up in, in uh you know, Morgan Stanley and then going over to JP Morgan. There's so many products, so many customers, mm-hmm. so many ways. And, um, but I, I want to thank you for the, some of the beautiful products that I myself as you have used Samsung, uh, electronics. Um, uh, I've used, uh, Amphenol, many, many Amphenol, uh, mm-hmm. stuff, but, uh, I lived on a boat for five years. So I used tons of, uh, Mar- Marinco, uh, stuff. <laughs> Yeah, nice. So, uh, are you exclusive distributor for these uh, outfits, or you have a... not exclusive? No, we're one of many. Okay, so that means you you have to hustle. There's you have to comp- compete, you know, with the same product. So that's a really really tough business. Yeah. yeah, the key is to put them on the map where they're they're not, and the, yeah. they keep you as a distributor. Right. Well, that's uh, very wise. I was I was lucky enough as a child to work for Bell Laboratories in Homedale, New Jersey. In fact, I live in Homedale, where they invented the transistor. You know, something you you, you deal with a lot. You know, and it's many many forms. Um, in fact, or the water. I hope you come out here sometime. I'll give you a little tour de force of the old Bell Labs. And let, have, you, have you been here before? Uh, to to Bell New Laboratories Jersey. there specifically. Uh, I'm talking about Bell Laboratories. No, I have not. All right. Well, the next time you come to New Jersey, make sure you come on down because they've turned it into, it used to be a laboratory and now it's, uh, you know, a mixed use. Just after AT&T went through all its problems, they turned Mm -hmm. it around and and, um, made it mixed use, retail, office, and residential around the outside. And they're working on a hotel, so. Wow. Okay. Well, that's utilizing space well. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Well, it was lying fallow for a dozen years because you know Lucent had to compete. You know, example of of competition gone bad. And we'll talk about actually. You know, let's let's just assume we're kind of in the podcast now. But okay. You, you mentioned something about tariffs. So yeah. uh, since that was the first thing on your mind, before we even get into, you know, background and how you chose into, to get into such a, a challenging uh, profession, mm-hmm. um, talk a little bit about the tariffs, uh, what's, how it's been, uh, how it is now, and, and what you think is going to happen next, and how, most importantly, how you're reacting to it. Well, we've gotten used to it. Customers have gotten used to it. It was really hard to swallow in the beginning. And for those of us who weren't really that familiar with um, this tariff war, it was presented to us like, we're going to punish the Chinese. But what they were doing was charging us here in America 
for buying from China. And I've been in this business 40 years. Components, for the most part, back in the 70s and 80s, some components were manufactured in the United States, mostly for military or, or aerospace. But for the most part, components have always come from, it used to be made in Japan. And then Taiwan came and, and their quality became uh, pretty uh, dependable. And then in the last 20 years, China has, has basically come into play. And because of their, essentially their slave labor, their prices were so uh, incredibly low, but they're, they're, they were getting their quality up like what we were getting out of Taiwan and Japan. So as we were importing these items that our customers who are using them and building their products in the United States, we're getting charged 25% and we had to charge our customers a portion of that tariff. And, um, which means you were eating some of it too, while you were at it. Yeah. You know, you try to make it a little easier, especially for, you know, good customers, um, cause they have a choice, but what we were doing is basically we weren't China wasn't getting, uh, penalized. We were, we're paying the tariff and we're penalizing our U.S. manufacturers here. <laughs> right. Now, if you have a if if you're if you're selling the parts to a manufacturer outside the United States, that that tariff kind of gets um, washed away. Right. But if it's if the manufacturing is if you're shipping it anywhere in U.S. soil, then that tariff is in place. So. It's, it's, you know, we've gotten used to it, but it's, it's, you know, it's 25%. That's, that's a big chunk. It is. And, um, when it comes to the, the world that you, uh, operate in, you know, like you said, there's multiple competitors out there often selling the same stuff that you're selling. So it can, you know, you take whatever skin in the game there is and slice it in half and it gets a little thin. Yeah. So, well, like so go ahead. No, I was just going to say is, you know, it, it, the key is to have uh, aggressive pricing from your your sources in China. We don't import everything from China, by the way. It, it's it's probably, I would say, 30, 35 percent. Everything else comes out of Taiwan, South Korea, maybe a little bit of Vietnam. Um, but if you if you're if you can get a low enough cost. You could typically amortize that tariff charge into it, and and it's painless for the customer. Right. Um, by the way, how um, how many new chip and electronic manufacturing plants have uh, arisen because of this tariff making it more expensive from China? Any that you're aware of? How many? I'm sorry. How many? I, I'm asking. You know what? The, the intention from the headline of, of we're we're going to punish China because they've taken all our manufacturing. Right. That was the big headline that sold these tariffs. Right. Um, have any new, let's say, component manufacturers picked up the slack and said, we're going to now make this in the U.S., things that were made in China, we're going to take over? Um, not that I deal with. I'm sure there are. What a lot of, um, ironically, a lot of Taiwanese and, and a lot of other country companies have factories in China 
So right. what they did was there are, they could be a Taiwanese company that have factories in China, in Taiwan, in Vietnam, in India. They just, um, I know some of ours move some of that manufacturing out of China and put it in their Vietnamese plant or their Taiwanese plant. Um, it's just very inexpensive in China because of their labor rates are extremely, extremely low. Right. Well, there's hopefully going to be a, a little bit more scrutiny on on really what gets to the bottom of, of um you know, the improvement and, and uh, let's say efficiency of American manufacturing, because I, I think when you take a hammer to something, you, you, you normally break things, you don't fix things. And that's what I always consider that right. tariff to be. Yeah. And, you know, we all thought with the new administration, because it was the Trump administration that put the tariffs into place. Um, you know, when there was a new administration, we thought, OK, it'll be any day now those tariffs go away. But um, I don't know why they're keeping them, but I can assume is generating a lot of tax dollars. <laughs> right. Know. So based on that, um, we're, um, let's uh, get, get back to the beginning. How did you get into the business? And, and what, what, was, what was the attraction? So I was, I'm gonna go way back to the beginning. Um, I was raised by a single mom who, when she divorced her second husband, my stepfather at the time, I was about eight or nine, I think, she had to go to work mm -hmm. um, for the first time, basically in years, you know, she was at home making babies and being a housewife. So to keep the roof over our head, she had to go to work. And I think it was a neighbor that got her into her first electronic um uh, exposure to the electronic world, component world. And she became um, one of the pioneers, really, for it was a, it was a good old boys club. Right. Uh, but before she got into sales, she was in a high level purchasing position for a power supply company out of Camarillo, California. And at the time, I was probably uh, 19 or 20 all I cared about was surfing women and weed <laughs> and it was pretty much waves weed and women in that order the three w's right I had hair down to here you know I was I was what they call spicoli you know yeah. back then <laughs> of course yeah and um uh, you know I got through high school you know but I wanted to surf and I worked as as just enough to get by on my own. And uh, she begged me to go on an interview. One of her vendors, she, she said, hey, would you interview my son? I, I need to get him out of the gas station and get him a real job. And of course they wanted to do more business with her. So they agreed. Yeah, of course we'll interview Adam. We have a position in the warehouse. And um, so, I promised I would go and I set up the interview or they set it up with me and um, I missed it. <laughs> the first one, uh, there was, a, there was a good swell and I, you know, I didn't think about anything else, but surfing. So, uh, you know, and you later, were in Camarillo where, where, what, uh, what break were you surfing? Oh, at the time I was, I was a Zuma local. In fact, my nickname was Zuma Zam or Zammers or Zam. <laughs> 
I was what they call the kahuna of Zuma. Okay. And um, so I missed that interview. They called me and said, you know, um, we'd like to meet you. You know, they want to keep my mom happy, so they she would keep buying from them. So can we set up a new time? And I said, sure. And uh, I, I completely spaced on it, and I missed it. The second one. <laughs> so they gave me a third try, and my and I promised my mom, no, this time I'll go. I promise, mom. I I, I won't smoke any pot, and I I won't go to the beach. <laughs> and uh, I went on that interview, and about two weeks after that interview, they called me up and said they would like to hire me. And this is 1983. And I said, oh, wow, I, 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 this is an eight to five job. You know, <laughs> like uh, Monday through Friday. Okay, yeah. But, well, I said, how much is it going to pay? And I think it came, I think it was something like in 1983, it, it came out to like twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars $22,000 a year. And I said, you got to be okay. kidding, you know? So um, I started and I worked in the warehouse for, I, I think it was like less than two, three months, getting to know all the parts, you know, and, and um, I was intrigued by it. I was like, I recognize all these components that I used to see in my transistor radio or the, mm -hmm. my CD, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow, I know these parts. And um, they decided to put me on the phone and and see what you know if i would be good at sales and that was one thing i was really good at um you know when kids were you know setting up lemonade stands i was setting up stands but i would go in the backyard and find rocks and i'd paint them all different colors and i would sell rocks while the other kids were selling lemonade and i would make you know, in the 70s, 10, 15, 20 dollars. Wow. Uh, you know, I sold other things too, I won't get into, but I was really good at it. Um, so anyway, I took to it and I soon became this company's top salesperson. Uh, I was there 14 years. And that's basically how that, how that started from, I was there from 83 to 97. And, uh, you know, the main reason why I left them was it was a family company and um, I had the wrong last name. Right. And uh, when you start making more money than family members, they figure out, you know, creative ways to cut your pay while you're you're keeping the, you know, the right. roof over their heads. Yeah. <laughs> it was time for me to spread my wings and fly. Awesome. So uh, now talk about that for a second. How how was the transition to going out out of the uh, the uh, the nest that uh, nurtured you after you hit the blood ceiling? You know, it, it was a little scary because when I started, I was you know I was twenty years old and I I didn't have many responsibilities. And then by the time I left in ninety seven. I was married. I already had two kids. I bought my first house, and um, it was it, it definitely was a new adventure for me. But um, the the guy that I worked for, he and I, we just we melded really well, and I helped take his company from. Uh, he was not quite a startup, but he was. They, they were pretty new in the industry, and. 
uh, within two years, we went from two million to eighteen million. What was the what was the nature of the company? What did they do? Same exact thing, basically. But what I did is I took what they were doing, which was focusing on a certain technology called surface mount technology, which was still relatively relatively new. Surface mount. I don't know if you're familiar with surface mount. Is that is that where you have a printed circuit board and you have the all of the uh, etched uh, photo, let's say silver that's left on, and then you solder in the different components on it. More or less. So surface mount means there's no leads that go through the board that they solder on the ah, bottom. Ah, okay. You know, or the top. Surface mount. Everything is just it's a flat board with the traces and the and a machine plants right. them and today yeah. it does like 100 components per second or something like that but my background was more in the interconnect electromechanic in other words um connectors and switches and potentiometers and and, and stuff like that which terminations uh, i'm sorry terminations terminations i'm not quite sure terminals the, what yeah. goes on the ends of cable terminal blocks right you know pricier items so i basically brought that knowledge and 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 vendor base and customer base to that company and um that went from 2007 to 2017 things started to turn around i don't know if, if you remember what things were like and not excuse me it went from 97 to 2007 right um, and in 2007, everything started to change. The dot-com bubble and the real estate thing and things were going down. And um, I worked for a guy I became really close with, but unfortunately, he, he lived a lifestyle he didn't want to give up while the company was starting to turn to powder. Mm -hmm. So I jumped ship and uh, did a brief stint at a competitor who needed who was just bought, but they needed somebody like me because they weren't they weren't familiar with what's called franchise distribution, and um, that didn't work out. But while I was there, I bought a domain name because I said I, the only way to make things work is to start my own company. And in two thousand, about the end of two thousand eight, um, myself and somebody that I knew through my daughters. Who was in the same industry um we decided to let's do it together his background was independent distribution which is a little different than what what i was doing which is called franchise distribution independent distribution is basically brokers you know they're 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 trying to find hard to find parts from wherever they can get it in my line of work i'm i'm working directly with factories who are providing me the parts and you keep in inventory these right. guys might not keep as much inventory. They they have a supplier and then they'll find a guy who needs it and then right. make a deal. Their thing was book, ship, book, ship. And right. My line of business was more build your backlog. Right. And grow that. And um, uh, that partnership uh, around 2012 started to get, um, for reasons I don't want to say, but because I don't want to badmouth um this person but uh the only way to salvage what i had started was i contacted somebody that i knew that uh was a young guy who i work for today um 
and he he was set up to get into dis distribution he had all the infrastructure and he had all the uh resources but he didn't have um my knowledge my vendor base my customer base so uh i went to work with him in 2012 and been with him since 2012 and this is where i'll retire eventually when i decide right. i'm no longer going to stay in the business so in reality i've only had like one two three and a half four professional jobs in my professional career since 20 years old and each one was really impactful each one you sent them to the moon after uh joining them you and, know uh, yeah talk about talk a little bit about the uh the, the you know the process and the path of of building up what you're what you have now and why do you feel so comfortable there um what's funny is so when i when i've been in the business 40 years when i got when i'm when i came to sun Tzu, uh 12 years ago uh i would i i i was what you call a seasoned veteran you know i've been doing this forever i could walk into just about any place that uh and they knew my name and i could you know say hey look i'm i'm looking for a job and you know i would need to fill out a resume so i thought i knew everything there was to know about my business and sales and I soon learned how wrong I was. Uh, the gentleman that um, hired me, he, he, he's very smart. And he, he read a ton of books and followed a lot of successful companies and, and, and people in general. Mm -hmm. and, and we would actually, he would have me read these books and he, he would test us on it. And we butted heads. I'm like, <laughs> dude. I'm going through a divorce right now. I, I have ADD. I, I could read this book, but none of it's going to retain. And uh, I was about ready to walk out after the first three months because this is like, what are you going to teach me? And he knew that um, that discussion that we had, um, he felt it was uh, uncalled for on his part. And he apologized uh, sincerely to me. And he said, look, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. These books and, and this information I have is really important to me. Give it a shot. Just give it a shot. Do your best. I know you're going to be fantastic. And we're going to take this company to, you know, levels that we've never seen. And, you know, he was really sincere. And I said, you know, Casey, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I read these books and I, I read them over and over and over and I did what I had to do. Yeah, give an example of, of one of the books before you were in there. Long, I can't even remember the names of them. Well, what did you learn from the books? You can't sell anything to anybody. Mm. You, you, you know, time is money. And part of my success was in relationship building. People had choices. And I think because they liked me and they could count on me, they would buy from me, you know, when they had other people, you know, banging on their doors. But I realized the, the, the nice guys and gals that were buying from me that were doing maybe five, 10 grand a year were taking up the same amount of time as the customers who were doing 100 grand, 200 grand a year. And I, you had, I had to cut bait. You know, mm -hmm. and I had a 
hand these these people down to some of the junior salespeople to uh, you know see if they could build them. But a lot of these customers I dealt with for so long, I go, this is it's just as far as they're going, anyways. And I would still keep in touch, you know, and I would help out, you know, uh, especially the junior salespeople who didn't know the account like I did. You know, it, it, there's different zones you need to get into uh, in sales. And I've always approached it where, A, you got to be an expert on your product. You got, you have to, you just can't be an order taker because you're dealing with engineers and you're dealing with decision makers who, you know, if you can't talk shop with them to some extent, and I have no engineering background, but I could talk to any engineer and, 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 and send him a link while I'm talking to him on what I think he, he, he may be looking for or what I think he may be interested in, but you also have to know your customer and, and, the industry they're in and the type of products that you need to talk to them about. Um, otherwise you're just an order taker and you're just hoping for stuff to fall into your lap. So uh, I've always kind of treated my approach to business as a rep versus a distributor where a rep is more, they rep just a few selective lines and they they become technical experts on those lines. They're not stocking. They're just getting orders either through their distributors like myself or direct with the larger customers. And that way, I, you know, I learned a long time ago when I had hair, you got to talk to the people who are designing these products. So they'll design you in on the ground floor and they keep coming back to you. Well, design for manufacturer is one of the key things that uh, they taught me when I was over at Bell Labs. Uh, they, you know, Talk to the manufacturers, talk to the distributors and see what they have to enhance what we're doing. So you, you really put yourself in a position to take advantage of that. And that was back in the mid 80s when, when I when I had hair. <laughs> we all did, right? Yep. Um, so that's terrific. And what what you've been able to do is really make better use of the precious time that we have away from you know surfing or whatever it is that we really love to do although you know in in if you're doing it right this job of sales can be so rewarding right you know it's been really good to me um and i've been really fortunate because for the most part i'm uneducated as far as um you know extended education i i college just wasn't my thing and back then you can get away with it today i don't think you can Right. Um, but they weren't teaching what I knew in college. Now, what I should have done is take business courses because when I started this company that I was, I was basically acquired, I, I really didn't know how to run a business. I knew how to bring what you need to be successful in a business. But uh, if I would have known, I maybe could have, continue to do this on my own but i'm better off i don't need to worry about running a business i just need to worry about building a book of business and helping my salespeople underneath me yeah it's called creating and cultivating relationships starting with you know your customer 
and then building it out to you know the customers the other people in the customers circles and then in your case since you're you know running a, a significant group you know cultivating them and maintain helping them re maintain their relationships which is it's a constant learning which is uh you know really comes through in, in everything you've said yeah um Tell me a little bit about what um, the, the acquisition process, because that's something that um, a lot of uh, entrepreneurs, it's, it can be daunting. There, there's major pitfalls. There's, there's highwaymen and wolves and, and sheep's clothing <laughs> every step of the way. Tell me about that process and how did that work out for you? Well, this person that uh, ended up acquiring the company, um, I had met before through somebody mutual with my quasi-partner and myself. And um, I contacted that person who actually introduced me to Casey. And I said, look, um, my company, which I named Trinity at the time, I said, we're, we're turning to powder here. We're, we're going down. Um, I don't, I don't want to again, mention names, but, um, it, he's not paying my vendors and now he's not paying my employees. And we're, the problem was this person had two companies. We, and we were working off the same books and infrastructure, his other company, he lost his top sales guy that, and he was responsible for about 75% of their sales. He took 75% of the, their sales with him to where he went. So as well as my division was doing, and we were doing well considering it was 2008, nine, and 10. You know, we were coming out of one of the worst economic situations in my adulthood, you know. In history, really. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was bad, but we had nowhere to go but up and we were going up. But I was doing everything. I was doing purchasing and, 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 and I was literally just trying to keep, I was wearing a lot of hats. Anyways, uh, I contacted this person and he said, uh, Casey, I think would be interested because he's looking to grow and he's a brilliant sales guy. And, you know, um, Casey's uh, like 15 years younger than me. So it was at first, it was a little different working for somebody who I could almost be their dad, you know, technically I could, I guess. Uh, but we've become very close and there's a, 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 a ton of mutual respect and he treats me real good. But it was it was shaky. You know, we came there and, and he had a way of doing things and he was still learning himself. And I had a way of doing things. And uh, like I said, we butted heads in, in the very beginning. You know, to the point, and and I was sort of in a really bad situation because I was at the time, uh, I have full custody of three tweens, basically. Um, and I, I I just couldn't just walk out. I had to make sure there, there was food on the table, roof over their heads and shirts on their backs. Mm -hmm. So luckily, we worked things out really quick. And it's been all great, it's sincerely, since then. That's but great. in the beginning, it was rough. I'm not going to lie to you. Well, you, you it sounds like you both went through a process of growing and learning together. And uh, at the same time, you were salvaging something that you worked so hard for and uh, making that work. So that's that's really beautiful. Yeah, um, it turned out to be really great. So I know you're you said you're you're going to retire there. Uh, so what's next? You know, what's tell, tell us about the future of Sun Tzu. 
Um, you know, it, it, business in general was, it, it was crazy. In 2020, you know, in, in the, at the end of 2019, uh, one thing we, we've, with, the, with the tools, we're able to really forecast um, how successful our coming year is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, and 2020 was slated to be the absolute best year in my career. And in Q1, January, February, March, it, it was definitely on track. I mean, it was like a phenomenal first quarter. And then by the end of March, COVID kind of reared its ugly head. In April, the floor just dropped. Hmm. It was, and I'm like, damn, you know, this was going to be the year. And then we got to May and June and things started to this graduate. And by the, by the end of 2020, it was the best year of my career. If you would ask me in March or April, how do you think you're going to do this year? And I would have said, we're in deep shit. We're in deep trouble. 2021 rolled around and it was better than 2020. It was, it was phenomenal. And there was a lot of factors that if you're interested and I could tell you about why that, why it, it was such a great year 2022 was neck and neck with 2021 which was a phenomenal year uh, this year flattened out it it for me it went back to pre-covid levels which were good but not phenomenal like they were you know in, in the previous two years and I forgot the original question. How did I get here? <laughs> well, I I wanted to ask ask about what's next, and um, okay, you, you, right. you went in. So so let me interrupt you for a second because I happened to be in in between my uh, money business career then, and um, I was I took a couple of years off myself, and um, I worked for a motorcycle shop selling mm. motorcycles, and. Nice. That was, but for them, that was their best year by far. Where they 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 sent us home for two weeks, um, and they said, "Hey guys, we're essential." You know, we we sell uh, you know quads to the to the surf patrol or the beach beach lifeguards and so forth. So so you you and and uh, the military. So you're essential. So they said, "Come back to work." And you know, what else does somebody want to do? Uh, then if they they can't go to school and ride a motorcycle, they, that was like twice their best year ever right yeah so tell tell me about the factors that that made 2020 so so good for you well i deal a lot in the music business the audio industry um i provide a lot of the components to uh to the manufacturers who make equipment for musicians a lot of those, a large portion of those are, if you, if, I don't know if you're a guitar player. I am a musician. I have a band called Love Illusion, and I use a lot of pedals. I use a lot of uh, mixing boards and stuff like that. All right. So those pedals, chances are you're using quite a few of my, I deal with the, the top effect pedal manufacturers in North America. For, and so you're, the switches that you're stomping, those are my switches. Okay. Those potentiometers that you're adjusting, those are my pots. The toggle switches, the jack that you're plugging your guitar into, those are my jacks. Wow. Um, people, I think, were at home buying the hell out of effects pedals. <laughs> like people were buying off Amazon, everything they could, you know, they were bored. But that went on for a couple of years. And other sectors, too, were starting to do better. Traffic, who I deal with. 
um, security, uh, gate controls, uh, you know, even the studio electronics, the, you know, not the, the, just the effects pedals, but some of the rack mounted gear, you know, everybody was doing great. And, um, part of the success was almost handed to us because, because of COVID, there were a lot of major delays in getting the components made and shipped because overseas when a factory had a COVID outbreak, they would shut down. They would quarantine until everybody tested negative. And it wasn't just the factories that were making my switches or connectors or pots. They, they all get their material, raw material from all these other vendors whether it's the terminals or the plastics or the this or that. So if one of those factories shut down because of COVID, so there was delays, lead times were going through the roof. It went from what was typically six to eight weeks was going to 16 to 20 weeks. What was normally 16 to 20 was going out, you know, uh, 36 weeks. Some items were going out past a year. So customers, were frantic so they were buying way more than what they needed because it was it was a, a better gamble to go out and buy more than what they need to, than to not be able to build and ship so you have them being busier than they've ever been you have not only the delays on getting the parts from me but it wasn't just me it was you know whoever else they were dealing with then there was freight issues. There was so much stuff coming in that there was a container shortage where it, overseas. Not to mention the longshoremen who were, weren't showing up at work either at the ports. Yep, and in, in, in LA Harbor here, the boats were stacked out miles. If you were a giant, I remember flying out of LAX or John Wayne Airport and looking out the window and you could just see all these ships uh, in LA Harbor going out all the way to Catalina almost that if you were a giant, you could walk from ship to ship. <laughs> um, so now we're dealing with customers. Uh, things have slowed down a little bit. A lot of it has to do with consumer confidence. And that's one factor. And the other factor is they just have too much. They have too much product that they need to deplete before they need to buy more. Um, actually, this quarter, this we're in Q4 now. Uh, we're starting to see this, you know, the tide turning again. They're getting busier again. They're running out of parts. They're getting busier. Uh, hopefully, the things in you know happening in the world won't affect that, and we can start enjoying good business again. We'll keep our fingers crossed. You know, actually, what you you gave me one little boost of confidence because one usual. Um, precursor to a major recession is a big inventory blowout. What I'm hearing from you is that that seems to have not been as big as it sometimes is during some of the recessions where they just have to shut down production lines for an extended period of time. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'm definitely, the activity is up. There's a lot of new products in design. You know, the, the inability to get really critical parts, um, that is, uh, for the most part, subsided. Um, the, the biggest headache 
for most of my customers were the chips, the ICs, which believe it or not, I don't get into that. The only time we get into the active components, the IC chips, is when they can't find them, we'll go out and we'll locate them and we'll make sure they're authentic, that they're not counterfeit. We'll make sure they're functional. And um, we've helped a lot of customers. And that was a, a very big part of our sales in 2021, 2022, and I think 2020 as well. Not as much today because it's eased up quite a bit. So they're not having the same difficulties getting parts. And all the orders they placed a year, year and a half ago, all that product came in and they're sitting on it. Yeah. But meanwhile, that's something that you have in your back pocket if some of the other things slow down a little bit, if it gets tight again, because you are an effective hunter of hard to find stuff. Yeah. I mean, if if you've got a problem, I'm going to find you a solution. I'll dig as deep as I have to until there's nowhere else to go. And, um, you know, when you've been doing this for as long as I have, even if I can't help a good customer directly through me, if I know who, who can help them, um, if it'll, if I can keep my customers happy and keep them busy and they're going to continue to need my parts. So I'll say, you know, Hey, Joe, this guy can help you out. Give him a call. He can help you out either with design or engineering, or he's got, you know, the twist ties or whatever it is that you need that you can't get. And that goes a long way. I think customers appreciate that. Sometimes I even recommend them to a competitor, you know, just so, Hey, look, keep the line going. I I don't want you to have a line down. And uh, they remember that. Well, you know, the theme of this uh, podcast is the mutual success. And you just hit on something, another thing that's especially beautiful, that doing the right thing doesn't always mean you're going to make the right amount of money for the the effort you're putting into it. So um, Mm. that's that's a real ethical um, dilemma that a lot of people face. It's like, I'm not going to make a buck, so you can go scratch. But, you know, your your approach is it really takes the long term view. And, you know, we need more of that in this, um, you know, this economic situation that we're in right now. How about interest rates? Do you find interest rates or the availability of credit is impacting anything you do at all? No, no. You know, customers typically have references and uh, we check them out. And if they they pay their bills, we give them net terms. We don't charge interest rates. Okay. You know, typically they get, we ship the product. They, they have 30 days to pay us. And if they decide to not communicate and not pay us, uh, we, we don't ship their product to them. And that's hey. the way always work but uh, no i mean interest rates may affect uh, running of the business that i'm just really not too involved with but i don't i mean i would have heard about it okay um before we uh conclude you know you mentioned a a minute ago uh, a few minutes ago that that uh, you had some forecasting tools that seemed to be pretty accurate but until covid came along uh, what tools are you using to to kind of get a really good handle on the way um let's say business uh incoming business is looking so it's it's basically it's a tool that uh casey the owner had, had developed and it's brilliant it's uh, we've, I think it's changed names, but it's essentially called a, a tracker, an opportunity tracker. So what you're doing is you're 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 documenting and loading, as I say, 
your opportunities. And opportunities are usually when a customer gives you an opportunity, you quote them, you send them a data sheet, they like what they see, they like the price and they want samples because they need to test the parts before they can add it to the bill of materials, you know, before anybody can buy the parts. So you, you, you essentially, you, you, you qualify the opportunity by, by, you know, figuring out with the customer, what their estimated annual usage is on that part. Um, what the cost is, what the, what the resale is. And after a certain period of time, you know, let's say after a year of putting in all these opportunities, you see how many of those opportunities converted into orders. And you, you, you know, and after two, three years, you pretty much know your percentage of opportunities that, that convert. And what that allows you to do is based on your history, when you go into like right now we're in Q4, so um, I'll have a pretty good idea. It's a little harder right now because again the tide is is it was very low this year and it's just starting to rise. But um, you have a pretty good idea if if you if you've really communicated with the, your customer on when that project's supposed to go into production. Um, are you on a new design or are you on an existing design where they're, they're second sourcing your product in and how soon will they switch to your brand? Um, all this information is really important. And then that basically will give you a really good idea of based on your existing uh, business or opportunities, what your, your sales are going to look, look like the following year, which what it doesn't include what new business you will uh, develop in this new year. But you can also use your, your hit past history on, you know, what do you typically, how, how, cause there's erosion. Some of that business goes away. Some of the products go into life, the customer's products, or, or you may lose some of that business for, for whatever reason. I mean, not everybody is, is going to buy from you a hundred percent of the time, a hundred percent of their lifetime. Um, so that's basically. But it sounds like you're you you take a lot of time to really get to know how the customer is going to use your their uh, your product, um, how they're going to uh, start up the manufacturing process, and, and then uh, prove it out, and um, basically getting to know more about their business, the technical and and economic aspects of it, also helps you. It helps them, of course, because now you understand better how to treat them and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, supply them, uh, but also helps you because you get a better handle on where your business is going to be. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and a it's, a, it's brilliant. I mean, it, something that is, is pretty basic, but uh, I never even thought of anything like this until I came over to the Sun Tzu, to be honest well, with you. It's, well, it's come a long way from the old boys club, uh, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's naturally something that's going to deepen relationships, you know, on the face of it. You know, it's not pretty pretty clear how it does that. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I think, you know, we, we've, we've gone over a lot of stuff and we, we've talked about some, some ways that, that uh, you're, you expand the uh, effectiveness and, and efficiency of, uh, let's just call it what it is, uh, American technology. And uh, it's pretty impressive. So um, I salute you. Keep up the good work. And thanks for being on the Mutual Success Podcast. Ring, Thank ring. You. I enjoyed it.